It's amazing as we come out of the, uh, the Super Bowl mindset in January and we head into the Oscars here at the end of the month, how our culture is so good at saying nothing well. All the glitz, all the glamour, all the makeup, all the physiques, all the special effects do a great job of saying nothing, but they say it very well. What's disappointing, though, is sometimes when we come to the church and we definitely have something to say, but we don't say it very well. For the people in Hollywood who don't have a lot to say, we've got to admit they, they definitely know how to say it. For us who have everything to say, we struggle in presenting it. Creativity is an effective way to express sound doctrine. It says a couple of things. First of all, it talks about something that's changing and then something that's unchanging. First of all, what's unchanging is the sound doctrine. In fact, that's what makes it sound. It's unchanging. The truth of the Bible never changes. The truth of the good news that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. That our faith in Him is the sole means by which we can go to heaven. That's the good news. That never changes and that never will change. And yet what does change is the, the way that we creatively express that. Because all throughout the ages, cultures have changed. And you've got to creatively find ways to express the same thing in different ways that connect. So I want to ask you to turn with me, if you would, in the Bible to Genesis chapter 1. If we're talking about creativity, there's hardly a better place to begin than at the creation. Franklin D. Roosevelt once said that eternal truths will neither be true nor eternal unless they have fresh meaning for every new situation. God is the one who invented creativity. He thought it up. We look at Genesis chapter 1, the very first verse says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Creativity is a biblical idea. I mean, God did it. The, the, the fifth word here in our English Bibles from the very beginning is created. In fact, in the Hebrew text, it's the second word. It's emphasized right up front that the most creative being in the entire universe is God. Because out of nothing, He created everything that there is. One of the reasons I enjoy uh, scuba diving so much is because it's only been in the last century or so that mankind has even been able to see under the ocean, much less to look at all the beautiful creation that's down there. And I've often been fascinated how God could have been content for thousands of years to leave his beautiful creation hidden. All of that stuff people couldn't go down and see because we didn't have the scuba tank until Jacques Cousteau came along and developed it. And now that we have it, we can go down and we can look at the beautiful world that the Lord has made. But prior to that, we couldn't. And God's creativity is incredibly displayed in the variety of things that he's made. Snowflakes, of course, no two alike. Uh, children, when they come into the world, each come with their own unique set of fingerprints, their own unique voice, their own DNA. Everything is unique about them. Millions and millions and millions and yet still unique. 
Did you know that there's 300,000 species of beetles and weevils? Just beetles and weevils, 300,000 species. Incredible variety in God's creativity. J.I. Packer once said that there's nothing irrational about believing that God who made the world can still intrude creativity in it. God is creative. That's who he is. And so it has profound implications for you and me when we realize how we were created. Genesis 1, look a little further down in verse 26. We read, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female. He created them. You go through Genesis 1 and you've got created, created, God created, He created over and over and over, looking at the things that God made. But only when we get to humanity are we told God made us in His image. In fact, in those two verses it says it three times, or four if you want to count where it says according to our likeness. Four times in those two verses it's stressed we've been created in the image of the Creator. And so it's no small wonder then when we begin to look at how Adam acts, we see him acting creatively. Look in chapter 2, verse 19. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. <clears throat> Has it ever struck you that God not only created you, but created you to be creative? God gave Adam the privilege of naming all the animals. Our youth group went to the zoo last year, and Richard did a great, great thing, very creative. He asked all of the kids to name, rename the animals, kind of like what Adam did here. What would you call a giraffe? What name would you come up with? Think about all the incredible animals God has made, and Adam names each one. Very creative responsibility that's given because we're in the image of the Creator. And then, of course, chapter 3 comes along and sin is introduced into the world, the topic of which the redemption from sin, the, the entire rest of the Bible, sets out to solve. But you would think that sin would have some effect or at least nullify the image of God in man. And yet you see that Adam continues to be creative in spite of that, in spite of sin. Because you have in verse 20, look at chapter 3, verse 20. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. Incredible statement of faith to call his wife living or life. Because God had said, if you sin, you die. And he says, okay, well, I'll name you life. How is that faith? Because he knew that God would provide redemption. And he did. The very next verse goes on to talk about that. But the point is that Adam still was creative. He names his wife life, Eve, because she's the mother of all life, all, of li all who are living. 
To say it succinctly, if you want to summarize this first point, it's that God created us creative in his image. Leland Riken teaches at Wheaton College. He says, the fact that humans are created in God's image provides a sanction for all human creativity. In fact, it, he said, in other words, that means it legitimizes us being creative. Uh, usually when we think of creativity, we think of people like this. We think of Bill Cosby, of course, one of the few comedians who's able to tell a good joke without it being dirty. We think of uh, Einstein. We think of Da Vinci. That's not Da Vinci, but that's his work. We think of Edison. We think of Celine Dion, incredible talent, and Walt Disney. We look at these people and we think, now that is creativity. That is incredible giftedness. That is incredible ability. And yet, is it really? Or is it just those who have developed what God has given them? Edison, for example, uh, the governor of North Carolina came to Edison one time and praised him for being such an incredibly genius, creative inventor. And Edison said, you know, I'm really not. And the governor says, well, what do you mean? You've got over a thousand patents to your name. And Edison made an interesting comment. He said, yes, but my only original invention is the phonograph. I guess I'm an awfully good sponge. I absorb ideas from every source I can, put them to practical use, and improve on them until they become of some value. The ideas are mostly those of others who don't develop them themselves. So you see, it's people like you and me that give Edison his brilliance. It's easy to recognize creativity in people like these, but how often do you think of yourself as a creative person? And yet God, having made you in his image, has made you to be creative. In her book, The Art of Life, Edith Schaefer writes, A Christian, above all people, should live creatively. We are supposed to be representing the Creator who is there and whom uh, we acknowledge to be there. It's true that all people are created in the image of God, but Christians are supposed to be conscious of that fact. And being conscious of it should recognize the importance of living creatively. When the psalmist wrote Psalm 33, he said, Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. It's the first time in the book of Psalms that this is said, sing a new song. Six, six times. It's said in Psalms, once in Isaiah and a couple of times in Revelation. The, the text says that they sang a new song. Now how can you sing a song that's new if you're not creative? Creativity is built in to our relationship with the Lord. I recently read about a group of monks in central Greece Fifteen monks who put out a CD. And this CD was not Byzantine chant. It was uh, rock and roll. And it dealt with current issues that, that people are struggling with. It dealt with power. It dealt with technology. And monks are singing about this. And they basically said that modern times calls for modern methods. They call themselves the free people. That's the name of their band. And this CD has gone platinum. It's sold over 60,000 copies in Greece. Well, the powers that be there, their uh, synod, didn't really cotton to this idea of monks singing rock and roll. 
And they put out this statement. They said, the Holy Synod... Now, help me see if you can understand this, okay? The Holy Synod feels the need to state its distress over this kind of action, which is not consistent with the long Orthodox monastic tradition, nor in line with the modesty and distinction that characterizes the Orthodox monastic ideal and causes, in many instances, problems and scandal to the God-loving congregation of the Church. What? What's amazing to me is when God gave us this book, He didn't give us this book to stick it up on a shelf and not understand it. But He gave it to us, and He gave it to people who are creative so they can sing to Him a new song, or sing to Him uh, in such a way that people can understand it, and to sing to Him in a way that's relevant to you, not in some language that you don't understand. You see, I think what these monks are onto is a great principle that's certainly biblical. And that is, if you want to communicate, you've got to be able to do it in such a way that people understand you. As I read this article about these guys, it says that they not only sang these songs, but they also got involved with youth at a, at a camp, and they would do rock climbing with this youth, they would play uh, football with, the, with these youth, they would canoe with them, they'd get involved in relationships, and not just stand off and be aloof. But they would do actually what the scripture says. And so what they're illustrating is something that's actually a very biblical principle. And you could express it this way, that our changing culture requires creative methods to communicate an unchanging message. The message never changes, but the way that we share it with people do change, does change. I was amazed at all the details as I was growing up. I, I grew up in a very traditional church. And I remember marveling at the details of my watch during the service. It's such a shame to go to church and be bored. It's such a shame to have an exciting message, and yet it's presented in a way that's boring. That's such a shame, because it's a waste of time. It's a waste of their time, it's a waste of your time, if it's not understood. Cal Lamont once said, Worship without creativity is like inviting a congregation to come and chew on Kleenex for an hour. How can we claim to follow a creative God and be so boring? Philip Yancey once said that many people, far too many, abandon the quest for God entirely. Repelled by the church, they never make it to Jesus. And that's why we are so committed to creativity here. Because it is, is one of the most effective ways to reach out to those who do not know the Lord. And we'll do it through various ways. Obviously, if, you're, if you come to this service, you're very familiar with the ways that we do it. Through music, our band will play, you know, songs that aren't church songs. Not just to be nonconformist, but to truly build a bridge. And to let you know, hey, we live in the same world you live in. We know the same music you, you listen to. We have the same struggles that you, that you have. And the Bible deals with those issues and settles those issues for us. We show film clips. If you were with us last week, you remember the clip we showed from Les Miserables, which, which so adequately and effectively illustrated the grace of God. Uh, we've got one of the best graphic artists in this part of the country on staff with us, Brian Collins. He was a graphic artist prior to coming to work with us. And all of the graphics, the great graphics that you see every week, Brian puts them together. And this guy's got outstanding talent. But 
it's because this is an effective way to reach a culture that's very visually oriented. I mean, how, much, how exciting would it be to just read the words in that box? Woo! Our changing culture requires creative methods to communicate an unchanging message. <sighs> but to see that makes it much more appealing and makes the message much clearer to understand. Drama, we use that all the time. Of course, you saw it here this morning. In our past, we've used it in a variety of ways. Look at a couple of examples. This is from quite a few years ago. This was called the Fulfillment Feud, and it's where we taught about the Old Testament covenants. You know, a real yawner subject if you don't put it in a creative light. And so what do we do? We brought back some Old Testament characters to illustrate it. We got Abraham here, we got King David, we got Jeremiah, we've got Zechariah, and we've got Joseph and Mary. Look at the next one. And here we got King David, he got a right answer. And he's excited, and Jeremiah the weeping prophet is uh, sad. <laughs> but this is a creative way to express sound doctrine. Look at the, the next one. Brian went back in a time machine and interviewed King Saul and asked him, King Saul, why are you under such pressure? What, what's going on? And King Saul says, well, look, this is, this is why I did what I did. It's a creative way to express what's taught in 1 Samuel. Look at the next one. Our band, back in the early 90s, got involved with... Uh, County Seat Saturday, took the band out on the square, played. You see we got our sign here, Sunday morning on the square. And between songs, we'd say, you know, we're a church, we're a church band, and we play right over here on Sunday mornings. A creative way to reach out to those in the community. Look at the next one. You may remember this several years ago on Easter. Rather than just say, look, here's what happened at Easter uh, Jesus rose from the dead, and here's what the scripture says about it. We did all that, but we did it in the context of a trial, proving historically that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Look at the next one. Remember this from this past Easter? This was your life? A creative way to show what happens after you die. That you, you can't go to heaven based simply on your works. It has to be the grace of God. And several other creative ways that we use in our ministry. Look at the next one. Karnak the Great comes up and gives us some information about hell. In our Kids Connection, we've got Jim here wrapped in a leopard skin. I'm not sure what this is communicating, but you've got to admit it's very creative, isn't it? <laughs> Look at the next one. Out in the front, we've got this great ticket booth here, and stick characters. Here's Yoda. <clears throat> Yoda. And he... Uh, he talks to people or he communicates with people as they walk by. It kind of grabs their attention. So creativity is a very effective way to reach out and to, uh, to let folks know that the message of the Bible is an exciting message. There is absolutely nothing boring about it. It is exciting, but it requires creativity to communicate that. You see, the more predictable we are, the less of an impact we're going to have. And this is nowhere more true than in our current culture. But let's talk for a second about creativity outside these four walls. How can we creatively reach out beyond just here? We've talked a lot about what we do here, but how can we do it outside of here? Well, turn in your Bible to the New Testament now and look at Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. 
and how we can be creative outside or over these four walls. You say, well, you know, Wayne, that's great, but I can't walk around up and down the halls of my job spraying rose scent and telling people Jesus loves you. They would, they'd uh, fire me pretty quick for that. Plus, it would not be a very effective way. You're right, that's not effective in that setting. It's a little more effective in this setting, especially for Gail. She gets a rose. But how can we do it in our setting on a daily basis? It's so easy to say what can't be done. All right, Give five, ten good reasons why this won't work. I can't be creative and minister to people outside of these four walls. I think it's funny how in 1899 the commissioner of the U.S. Office of Patents, this guy named Charles Duell, suggested that they shut down the patent agency because he said everything's been invented that can be invented in 1899. It's so easy to say what can't be done and what incredible things have been done in the last 102 years. Well, Luke 16, the Lord Jesus gives us a great principle here and let's read several verses. I'll just read straight through verse 9. Now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and this steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And the steward said to himself, what shall I do, since my master is taking the stewardship away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do. So that when I am removed from the stewardship, they will receive me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And they began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. And now look, key word here is the word for. Jesus is explaining what he just said. He's illustrated, now he gives the principle. He says, For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, meaning money, that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, Jesus calls money mammon of unrighteousness not because it's unrighteous, but rather because it's temporary. He compares it to, or he contrasts it to that which lasts forever. And he says, the people of this world, this, this ungodly steward. His master praised him not because he was ungodly, but because he was shrewd. That was smart. I mean, if the guy's going to fire you, you know, who cares about his stuff? Put it all, cut it all in half, ingratiate yourselves to others, so that when you're fired, you've got somewhere to go. The master praised him not because he broke the guy, but because he was smart and he was shrewd. Jesus' point is, look, the world can be shrewd and creative, about the ways that they deal with money for their own selfish benefit. He says, but they're much more shrewd than believers. How much more so should we be shrewd with what God's given us so that we can be effective for his work? I read about a guy who, before going to Europe on business, drove his Rolls Royce to downtown New York City to a bank, walked up to the teller and said, I need a $5,000 loan right now, please. And the teller kind of looked at him and says, well, this is unusual. He says, we'll need some collateral if we're to do it right now. The guy says, sure, no problem. Pulls out, gives him the keys to his Rolls Royce. 
And they pull the rolls around and they park it and they say, okay, when you pay us back the five grand, we'll give you back your rolls. He said, great. So a couple weeks later, the guy comes back in and says, I'd like to settle up. He says, okay, that'll be, that'll be $5,000, which is your principal, plus the interest is $15.40. Guy writes him a check, hands it to him. And as he's walking off to go get his car, the teller says, hey, by the way, I found out over the last couple weeks, you're a millionaire. Why did you want to borrow $5,000? And this guy turns around and says, well, where else could I park my rolls for two weeks in New York City and keep it safe for $15.40? You see, the guy was smart with his money. A little shady, perhaps, but shrewd with the way he dealt with, with his stuff. Jesus says, that's how the world works. They are shrewd with what they have. How much more so should we be shrewd, creatively thinking how we can use the resources we have to reach out to other people? So the next time you want to leave a tract or you want to you know, write Jesus loves you on a napkin or something, you know, for a waitress or a waiter at a restaurant. Don't just leave the track there on the table. You know what they're going to do with that? They're going to take it and they're going to toss it. But next time, take a $20 bill and stick it in that track. And see if your shrewd actions don't get them to pick it up and actually look at it. You say, well, I'd love to be shrewd with money if I had some. Understand, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about a mindset of using whatever God's given you to impact those around you. You could say it like this. God has uniquely gifted you, uniquely gifted you to creatively impact your relationships for Him. Where God has placed you is not a mistake. What God has given you is not a mistake. The gifts and abilities that you have are not a mistake, but strategic, uniquely gifted you. Have you ever thought about the fact that out of an infinite number of ways God could have communicated to us, He chose to become one of us? Gajillions of ways God could have done it, but He chose to become one of us. And the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, unchanging, never changes. And yet when you see Jesus deal with people, he never deals with them the same way. He doesn't change, but the way that he deals with people is constantly changing. To one guy, to a Pharisee, Nicodemus, he says, hey, you've got to be born again to get into the kingdom. And yet the very next chapter, he tells an immoral woman, he says, if you were to ask, I would give you living water that springs up into eternal life. To one guy, he says, you've got to be born again. He talks on a high theological level. To somebody else, he says, give you living water, a simple illustration. To one guy who was rich, who came to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells the guy, well, sell all your possessions and come follow me. And yet the very next chapter, Jesus tells Zacchaeus, doesn't tell him to sell all your possessions, because that wasn't Zacchaeus' hang-up. Jesus dealt with different people on different levels, and so should we. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes, but his method of dealing with people did. And so God has uniquely gifted us each to be different and to do something different. And I'm not talking about just in here. I'm talking about wherever he's placed you. What is it that you uniquely do? Can you cook? Can you sew? Can you write? Do you like to read? Do you work with wood? What is it? Music? 
How has God uniquely gifted you? And then stop and think, now how can I creatively use what He's done for me? What skill I have? How can I creatively do that to somehow influence those around me? We don't think in those terms, and so we don't do it. But begin to think in those terms. Because as Jesus taught us in this parable of this unrighteous steward, He says, look, the world does this for their selfish benefit. How much more can we do this for the kingdom of God? The celebrated hockey star Wayne Gretzky says, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Why don't we try? You've got nothing to lose by being creative. A couple years ago, I saw this guy out on the, the square wearing one of those sandwich boards, you know. You know, you're going to hell on the front and you're going to burn in hell on the back. And walking around the square screaming the same thing. And I stood there and I watched him and nobody really was paying attention to him. I mean, they were, only to get away from him. But nobody came up and said, oh, really? Said, Boy, tell me what to do. Wasn't that effective? Creativity is not being a nonconformist. It's not just being different. That's weird. And you're not going to bridge the gap to the culture. Creativity instead is being a strategist. How can I use what God's given me creatively to impact those I'm around? I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 80 years old. I don't care if you're 8 years old. How, how can you do it? Because you can. God has uniquely gifted you to creatively impact your relationships for Him. It's a blessing to be able to be involved in such a creative ministry, a ministry that allows me to be creative. and um, It's a blessing to be able to be a child of God, as you know, and to be able to be creative and to use the gifts He's given you to impact other people. So, as we've been created in His image to be creative, let's do that and see what wonderful things God can do through our creativity. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that we would not just take out a bunch of general terms, a bunch of general ideas, be creative, be creative. But we might think in very concrete ways, whether it's working with wood, whether it's music, whether it's cooking, whether it's whatever, wherever you have gifted us, wherever you've placed us, that is the place of influence. And so I ask that you begin to give us a mindset that is as shrewd as the ungodly world in which we live, and yet that is shrewd to use what you've given us for your kingdom and your glory. I pray for the one who is here today who does not yet know you, that if they were to die at this moment, they would stand before you condemned rather than justified. Pray that their heart might be softened. They would see their sin having been placed on the cross and the free offer that you give them. And may you convert them, Lord, now, even at this moment. It is a great privilege to be your son and to be your sons and daughters, to be created in your image, to be creative in sharing your message. And so with that, we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Lord bless you.